The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome, welcome, everybody. You're welcome to move around if you'd like to sit in a chair or move chairs or come up front or something like this. We put chairs not really knowing how many people will be here, so just want to let you know. Move to where you'll be comfortable. So, I don't know if you guys were like me, but uh, somehow when I first started meditating, I had this idea, like, oh, just be relaxing, and all those like pesky emotions would just go away, and an opportunity to uh, just be quiet. It turns out, right, that didn't happen. (laughs) And maybe that's been true for you, too. Especially if we have a regular meditation practice, if we have a commitment that we're going to sit every morning, for example. Some mornings we wake up and we're cranky. So we meditate with crankiness. Or maybe we feel sad. Or maybe we still feel tired or hungry. You know, like all these types of things. Or maybe there's some times in which you go to sit to meditate and you feel really easeful and relaxed and steady. And then maybe a memory comes up and then there's emotion, fear or anger or sadness or maybe you're thinking about something in the future and fear and anger comes up. So meditation and emotions, right, they definitely go together. And we, have, we might even have this idea like, oh, to be an awakened means to not have emotions. That's not how it works. It's not that we like get rid of emotions. It's instead that the suffering that we are adding to emotions just doesn't exist anymore. Sadness might still arise, but it's not a problem. There's no suffering associated with it. Anger might arise. It's not a problem. There's just no suffering associated with it. And it arises and passes away. It's like short duration. might be intense, but it's like, oh, wow. Oh, this is what anger is like. So in order to find like freedom, some ease, some peacefulness with whatever is arising in our meditation, in our daily life, that of course would include with emotions, with our emotional life, whichever emotions Of course, most often we want to talk about the difficult ones, anger, sadness, fear. We want to keep all the love and the joy and the happiness. Of course we do. And it is true that we tend to talk more about the difficult emotions because they're difficult, but also because there's a way in which there's a collapsing there's a shutting down, there's a like getting stuck with difficult emotions. And then there's a this strong sense of self that gets created. I'll talk a little bit more about this. But that's in contrast when there's love and joy and happiness. We tend to be open. And then when there's open, there's can be more shedding and to be letting go. And this open and shedding is the direction towards more freedom as opposed to this collapsed and tight and oh, I gotta figure it out, I gotta make it go away or something like this. 
So that's often why we talk more about the difficult emotions. The happiness and the joy, that's an inherent part of practice. It's definitely a part of practice. Buddha himself just talks about this, how they are factors of awakening, joy, and happiness. So they're definitely part of it. And they arise naturally. So I don't want to like say emotions and only focus on the difficult ones and not acknowledge that why right, there's so much beautiful. The most beautiful experiences in my life have definitely been associated with meditation. So, but how can we? How can we find freedom with our emotions? Recognizing that they're not going to disappear. They're a part of our life, our meditation life, our daily life, our work life, our personal life. They're just a part of our life. How can we find freedom? How can we feel like we don't feel overwhelmed by them or to feel like we don't have to try to avoid them, but instead have confidence? Okay, I'm going to do this and I'm probably going to feel fear or I do feel fear but to find a way to do it anyways. Have those difficult conversations. To be able to support somebody who's... I often give this example because it's uh, it's really touching to be able... I've had this experience a number of times to just hold the space when somebody relates terrible diagnosis or a terrible breakup or you know something, their family member that's really just heartbreaking has happened to be able to just be with the difficulty of that and not collapse and blame or somehow lash out but to be some steadiness that then supports everybody else we shouldn't underestimate how powerful that is like (laughs) how different this world would be if more and more of us could do this hold the difficulties So in order to find freedom with our emotions, we don't get to say, okay, I'm not going to have any. Instead, the freedom is with our relationship to the emotions. How we respond, how we react, how we feel about them. The emotions will come and go because life brings us things. We don't get to choose that. So practice is really about our relationship. And so often we don't even notice what our relationship is to an emotion because we're overwhelmed with it and we're trying to push it away most likely or manipulate it and change it or make it be different. So there's two kind of like categories This might be a gross simplification, but sometimes I like to do this just because it can be helpful, like little hooks or that we can hook some of our thoughts or ideas on. So it might be like a way we can understand like two categories of relationship to emotions that we can work with. Maybe like two levers that uh, we can pull or dials we can twist. One is to look at any resistance we have. And I'll talk about this more. Some of this pushing away or turning away or I don't want it, go away. <laughs> right? There's so many ways this shows up in our lives. Or two, being identified with it. 
I'm angry, I'm mad. This means I'm an angry person. I shouldn't be an angry person. I'm an angry person. And maybe we beat up on ourselves a little bit. Or maybe we have the sense, because I'm angry, then you know people are just going to respond to me in this certain way. Or I can't go there because I'll lash out and they'll be angry. Or they're expecting me to be mad. Or there's a way in which we can like take on these emotions as part of our self-definition. The way that we view ourselves. The way that we just think it's part of who we are. It's true, it's experiences we're having. We're experiencing anger. There's no denying that. But it's sometimes what the meaning we attach to it is where some of these, there's this word levers or dials that uh, we can turn, levers we can push with our relationship to emotions our resistance, and what the meaning we're making. Very often that meaning is about what it means about us as a person, the identification that we have with this. So this shift from away from identifying or making it mean something to just recognizing instead of, I'm sad, and then when we say that, oh, just I think naturally that comes along with a statement like that is all the other times we've been sad. And this fear that how long am I going to be sad? I don't want to be sad again. And because I'm sad, that means that I can't do this or that or the other thing. Especially these days, right? If you look on social media, there's this false image that everybody's... Uh, portrayed, right, and putting online. And we start to feel like, oh, I'm isolated because my life doesn't look like that. I have difficulties, but, you know, of course nobody's putting that online. So they have these false lives that are getting broadcast, but nevertheless. So this shift away from thinking I'm sad to sadness has arisen. Sadness is here. Sadness feels like this. And I know this is clunky language. This isn't a way that we would normally speak to ourselves or to others. But I have found this is so helpful. Just this little, if we can remember, right, to make this little shift in the way that we just verbalize it to ourselves, to others. Sadness is here. Sadness is being experienced. Sadness has arisen. Sadness feels heavy on my shoulders and I feel this pressure behind my eyes like I'm going to cry. Then that kind of like undermines all the story making and the meaning making and instead it just allows us to honor the sadness, to honor our experience and to know it's like this. Sadness is like this. There's also a big shift that can happen when we think, when we notice the resistance. Resistance shows up in so many ways that can be subtle and we don't even really notice it. It can be this way if we find ourselves really tangled up with a particular emotional experience, anger. 
and we feel like we just can't get rid of the anger. Part of it is maybe there's some of this identification, this meaning. I remember this one time I was really angry. This is years ago, but I was really angry. But I hadn't had to been that angry, I don't know, for a long, long, long time. And I was surprised by this, all the energy that came with it. And I kind of liked it. All of a sudden I felt really powerful and like, wow. But it turned out to be so corrosive and really just awful. So, so good learning. But there's a way in which maybe we have this meaning that we're assigning, like, oh, it makes me, I'm powerful because I'm angry or because it makes me, I can push people or things away. But resistance also shows up in subtle ways. I'm sorry. So part of what uh, keeps anger around can also be resistance. It's like, why am I angry? I don't want to be angry. I shouldn't be angry, especially often women get this message that we shouldn't be angry. And then if we are, like, oh no, I hope I didn't, they didn't see that, or I may have to do some apologizing, and I don't know how to apologize, or I don't want to apologize, or all these things, all this stuff that gets uh, tangled up. I kind of like this word, tangled up with the anger. I'm just using anger as an example. This could be sadness, it could be fear any of these difficult emotions. But if we don't have resistance, there can be a way like, there could be this anger arrives, uh, heat in the face, maybe a sense of energy, maybe a sense of like, kind of like this, you know, sense of power, like, oh. Or it could also be a collapsing, like, oh, I'm so mad, but I don't want to be mad. But it just arises experience it, acknowledge it, and it passes away. It's the nature of these difficult emotions to do that. So, as a way to kind of like support working with these difficult emotions, either with the meaning we're assigning to them, or the resistance we have to them. And borrowing something that Gil did a couple of years ago, and of making some modifications. I kind of liked what, what he offered, and I'm altering it to, for my purposes here. And he offered something to, as a help work with fear. And I'm using fear as an example for any difficult emotion. As a way to work with fear, and the acronym F-E-A-R. Fear. What is the first F is friend. We might, I mean, technically, probably we would say befriend, but I guess now you can like click something that's like a friend or so to friend the experience. Is there this way that we can stop pushing it away? Right? This is the opposite of being resi- having resistance. I'm sorry, I'm remembering now that I lost my train of thought earlier. I want to say a little bit more about resistance. I was saying that it can show up in subtle ways. It shows up in, one is like it's the prolongation of the emotion, but also is just some general avoidance, a lot of avoidance. And avoidance shows up with just wanting to distract ourselves. 
always picking up our phone or always doing something other than what needs to be done is we're trying to avoid something and often what it is 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 an uncomfortable experience. Or maybe some ways of the way that we're resisting is just telling ourselves like, okay, I just have to get a weekend or something like this and I have to have some more spiritual something and then all these emotions will go away. We might have this story. It's true that the troubleness or the difficulties of emotions go away, but emotions don't go away. We don't stop becoming humans. So to friend this difficult emotion, to friend fear is different than being aversive, different than being ashamed. It's different than trying to fix it. It's different than attacking the fear, trying to make it go away. It's different than analyzing it, trying to figure it out. Like when a child is afraid, we don't do all these things, we don't yell at them. or Instead, maybe we take them into our lap and hold them, comfort them. We pay attention to them. Maybe caress them. Be a friend, be a parent, be an aunt, uncle, whatever, grandparent. Whatever our relationship is, whatever is appropriate for them. But to be present for a child or that part of ourself that is having fear or is sad. Is there a way that we can acknowledge it and respect it? So much about this practice is kind of like becoming whole, stopping the, trying the ways that we try to excise, cut off parts of ourselves. Is there a way, kind of like the fear feels safe, to just be fear? This isn't necessarily easy, but is there a way that we can acknowledge it's already there? And there is truth in this cute little saying that what we resist persists. So just this recognition that, okay, there's fear here, sadness here. And there's there's this way in which mindfulness practice, we could say, is all about this too. It's kind of like meeting whatever's arising in our experience with some attention and some care. Jack Kornfield now kind of talks about mindfulness as a loving awareness. And so is there a way that we can bring this loving awareness to this experience of this difficult emotion? So F is friend, befriend. E, explore. There's lots of different ways we can explore. One is, how does it feel in the body? This is a way to kind of like get into the present moment and to disrupt the momentum of the thinking mind, the resisting mind. It's also a way to create a little space between us and the fear or sadness or anger or anything that's difficult because... If often if we are like are collapsed into it and we're completely identified with it and we're just overwhelmed by say fear, then that's often happening in the um, in the mind 
and in the body. But there's something that's happening in the mind that's kind of like a promoting it or supporting it. So to explore, how does this feel in the body? And even to ask that question is to create a little space between what's being looked at and the looker. And that little bit of space is where we can find some freedom, kind of like disrupts the momentum also. So to explore where, how does this feel in the body? And this kind of maybe just this stance of exploration instead of trying to push it away, but instead of like curiosity, what is this? What's what's going on? Not that we have to figure it out. The point is not to find answers. The point is to question. And so this is so different than how we are usually in our daily life. It's, you know, we're trying to find answers and figure things out. Of course we are. It's fun to do that. It's rewarding to do that. But is there a way to have this sense of exploration? So not only when we feel it in the body, it also can help us to clarify what is the fear versus what is the resistance to the fear. That might not always be clear. Maybe the fear is, for example, a lump in the throat, but not in the belly. Maybe the resistance is this activation, this sense of restlessness or energy, we want to jump up and run away. But maybe we, it just starts to feel like a big jumble of uncomfortableness. But maybe we can explore what does fear feel like? What does resistance feel like? And maybe it's not immediately clear what the difference is, but again, it's the asking the question. And to create this space around the experience of fear, disrupt the momentum. Because when I'm talking about disrupting the momentum, a lot of what the momentum is doing is creating meaning. Because I'm afraid means that I'm weak. And I've always been weak and I was hoping that this meditation practice would be better, but now it's bringing up my fear and it's just making me feel worse. Or you know, There's all these things that we could do. All these thoughts that could happen in our minds. So this exploration, how does it feel in the body, the fear and the resistance, it's also to turn towards the object of the fear. What is it? that we're afraid of. Part of that, this question of what is it that we're afraid of is to recognize that some fear is appropriate. There's, of course, if we're in imminent danger or we expect that uh, it's dangerous. Some of it is, maybe it's, uh, maybe I'll stick with appropriate. It's appropriate to fear that we may harm ourselves. We may harm others, or we may harm our integrity, do something that uh, makes us not feel so good about ourselves, that we regret. But there's also this kind of like fear that's unhealthy, that kind of like, uh, diminishes the quality of our life, or keeps us from living a full life, or causes us to lash out and harm others. 
And then, of course, there's some fear that we can't... I've tried, probably all of you have tried to, to talk myself out of uh, fears that aren't quite logical, but I just have them anyways. There's something about, I have this fear. (laughs) I don't really like to do this. I'm getting better, I can do this, but I don't really like to cross the street not in a crosswalk. I kind of have like this memory of being yelled at. I think this, you know, when I was, I don't know, you know, five years old, like, Diana, don't cross the street. <laughs> and so now I always feel like, oh my gosh, I have to be at a crosswalk or something, even though I'm, a, I'm an adult and I can look both ways, you know, all this stuff. But, but even though I try to just uh, talk myself like, Diana, you shouldn't be afraid. I can do it, but there's still that little uncomfortableness. It's just, we all have these things. Some of my friends tease me about it. And some of my friends are just like, we'll just, it doesn't matter, Dana, we are crossing here. <laughs> and they just force me to do it. And it's okay, right? I haven't been run over yet. But there's this way in which we, so we might reckon when we look towards the object of the fear, we might know some is healthy and appropriate. I don't want to like demonize all fear. And but also some of it is some anxiety and we can't talk ourselves out of it. Sometimes we can. Sometimes we might notice if we really look at the object, we kind of explore the object, we see, oh, this maybe isn't helpful. And there's a way in which we can it can release. Not always. Not always. But this exploration is about our experience and the object. But here's something that's... Maybe I'll add this. There's a way in which maybe to ask what we're afraid of is also a way that we're kind of respecting the fear or respecting the anger, instead of being just dismissive of it or chastising ourselves, to kind of like say, okay, what is the object? It's to acknowledge, oh yeah, the fear, the anger, the sadness is here. Let's explore it. Let's not ignore it. But here's something that can be really helpful and it's not necessarily easy to do but explore, look for what is it that feels threatened? What inside of me feels threatened? What is it? Because sometimes it doesn't have a real basis. For example, We might have these underlying beliefs that we don't really acknowledge, and these beliefs are what's underneath the fear. For example, we might have this belief, everybody has to like me. All the time. Everybody. And then 
where this fear is like, oh, I don't want to do that because they won't like it and they may not like me. I don't want to say no, even though it's crossing a boundary or I actually can't even do that. I would have to stay up late and not get enough sleep or you know something like this if they, somebody asks us to do something extra that we feel like we just can't really put on our plate, but we do it anyways. So what is it that feels threatened? Maybe this view we have about ourselves. I always have to be the wise, funny one. And then, oh, I'm afraid that they won't think that I'm wise if I say that or if I go or don't go. Or all these views we have about ourselves, these often they're hidden. So in fear, anger, and sadness, there's this way in which this exploration, the E of exploration, is to kind of like turn around and look. What is it that feels threatened? Sometimes anger is this what feels threatened too. Sometimes sadness is also with something feels threatened. So to explore is like the physical experience. Explore the object. What is it that we're afraid of? And then to explore, like what is the what is it that feels threatened? What's fearing? Because we might discover that these are just bits of our imagination, concepts, ideas, constructs, ideas that we have about ourselves, but you know, they're ephemeral, they're not real, they're just ideas, thoughts, notions. We may have gotten them, you know, by a sincere method, you know, through our culture, our family. But they're not tangible things that can't that will always be there, that can't change, morph, go away. And in some ways, that which feels threatened is just another identity. Sometimes we get identified with the fear, but if we're not identified with the fear, there might be another identity that um, is fearing, feeling fearful. So what are... What are maybe an easier way to think about it? It's like the meaning making that's happening here. Is there's this way that we can explore? Like what's our what's underneath this? What kind of beliefs or notions or ideas we have? Friend, explore. A is for allow. Allow, we could say, is to notice the resistance and as best we can to soften it. Allow also means to notice the identification, the way that we think it means something about us. Can we soften that and just recognize, nope, this is just an experience. The fear is here, but I am not, I am not the fear. So this idea of allowing, if the fear is very strong, it can be wise not to just jump right into it. Instead, maybe just do very short bouts to feel it and then to back away. So not to explore it or to allow it for long bouts. Because there's a way, if there's a lot of any strong emotion, it'll just tip us into overwhelm. And that's not the direction we want to go. Because we don't have access to our wisdom and tools and wherewithal when we're in overwhelm. 
So especially with really strong things, just to touch into them, uh, allow them, friend them, explore them, maybe just for a short bit and then back away. Pull away, come back another day, another time. Slowly approach and back off. If you're in meditation and if you're something like a strong emotion comes up, one thing you can do is just open your eyes. And maybe still stay in the meditation posture, but open the eyes and kind of like look straight ahead and then like kind of like orient. Yes, okay, I'm here in this room and I'm sitting. I can feel the pressure against my body. I'm here. And that can be a way in which can help interrupt that and help us to feel more stabilized. If you can, continue meditating. Maybe keep your eyes open as a way to Kind of like, is it one way to like back off? But there's a way, this uh, movement of allowing, kind of like inherent in this is this sense of trusting. Trusting that our inner life knows how to take care of itself. We don't have to make it be different. We don't have to fix it. It's impressive what can happen if we make room for things to unfold on their own. It's not always easy to do this, right? Because there's this way in which we, it's, we're in the unknown territory perhaps, and it feels uncomfortable. But as best we can to allow it is to allow this unfolding which often is the often not what we're expecting, and is maybe the most beautiful thing that can happen. There's a metabolism that can happen in a different way. Friend, explore, allow. Maybe I'll say uh, something about allow. Also, is that you know not all fears are going to go away. We have existential fears. It's part of the human experience. Maybe that goes away. I don't know. But I think it's, you know, it's a big deal to have this kind of fear of death. For many of us, it's not front of mind. But it's there, right? When we're afraid, when we're in a situation in which we might die soon or or fear that we have when a loved one is doing something dangerous. So this allowing is part of learning to be with what is. Not making it go away, because maybe it's not going to go away, but can it not get in our way? And we can practice with this, with small things, with small discomforts. For me, I started... I didn't know this was practice for allowing discomfort, but it turned out to be great practice. I used to do um, some yoga, yin yoga, some of you might know about this, where you take a posture and you hold it for a long time. In the beginning, the posture is perfectly fine. But then, you know, after two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, it starts to become uncomfortable. And you're doing this a way in which you're not hurting or damaging yourself in any way. But just to like just to stay, stay, even though it was physically uncomfortable. 
just really gave me a lot of confidence that kind of bled out into other areas of my life to be with difficult emotions, difficult uh, sensations in other ways. So maybe that's something kind of like this allowing. And then the R, released. And I'm saying this kind of as a past tense, released as the as opposed to an imperative, release, let go of. If you could do that, you wouldn't need all these other steps, right? You would have just let go of it and you would have gone on your merry way. But what happens here, actually, I'm saying released, as maybe as a past participle, I guess, or something like this. So I don't want to give the impression that you have to do something, But what happens is if we shift our relationship with the identification, the meaning-making, or our resistance, the fear just gets released on its own as its nature. So as the resistance abates, the fear abates, or the difficulty abates, or as the identification with it, the getting all tangled up with it, as that starts to soften or abate, then the emotion intensity softens and abates. So R is for released. When, or maybe when we look around and we see that, excuse me, that which is... Uh, feels threatened, like, oh, yeah, maybe that was just an underlying belief that was just a belief and doesn't have any substance. Maybe when we realize that, then the fear is released. So there's these ways in which if we work with the relationship with the fear, maybe I should make that that R be about relationship to fear. Released relationship, but the the key to release is to the working with the relationship. Because if we're trying to get rid of the emotion itself, there's a way in which it's like the tar baby. Right? We push it with our hands and we get stuck. So then we try to push away with our feet. And now our hands and our feet are stuck. Then we try to push it with our head and then our hands, feet and head are stuck. But if we work with our relationship to it, I used F-E-A-R, friend, explore, allow, released, as an acronym. Maybe it doesn't happen in that order. Maybe it's not just fear, anger, or sadness. Just as a way for us to work with our relationship to difficult emotions so that we can find freedom with them. So that when emotions arise, they don't have to be a problem. It's just what's happening at that moment. And I'll stop there and I'll open it up to see if there are some questions or comments. Thank you.
I, I went to school in San Francisco and I was always afraid of jaywalk in San Francisco too, because it's so loud in the hills. You can't see if cars are coming over, but in San Jose, it's no problem where I'm from. I'm talking about the, the fear. And so I think like emotions are, are normal. And I, I sometimes think of like my friends. I have, you know, friends who might have the whole gambit of emotions. But for me, myself, I, I think, um, what I notice it coming up, I'm like, oh no, I've been here before. This is not good. Or, I don't like this feeling or that feeling. That's probably the part that might throw me off. And then I'll try and Monday night quarterback after I'm like, I didn't do well, or I could have done better in this area or whatnot. But so I don't know if it's maybe a more practice thing or what would you probably. Can you tell me a little bit more about what does the Monday night quarterback feel like? Or like, what is, what's the nature of that? Is it a, what's the tone? What's the attitude? Is it like. So, so like afterward, when yeah. I'm debriefing with myself or yeah. with somebody who I might call an expert, like, you know, I'll yeah. go to a buddy and what would you have done in this situation? Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I totally messed that one up or foot and mouth syndrome or something like that. But I'm more hard on myself kind of afterwards or something. So it's not, so on the, the, the afterwards. It's not about saying like, oh, okay, now I see that that was kind of triggered, but I couldn't figure it out. Okay, well, maybe next time. Or is it a time like, oh, dang it, I'm never going to get this. I'm always doing this. Uh, probably the more extreme <laughs> one that's, that points out, yeah. So common, right? This kind of like the inner critic gets activated when we're trying to make some changes in our behaviors or the way that we show up. There's a few things we can do. One is when you find your, so you have a difficult emotion and maybe you get all tangled up. And then later you kind of like do a post-mortem, right? Or Monday morning quarterback or whatever it is, this kind of thing. Um, to look at it. Once, and then after that, to recognize, oh, I'm trying to make changes and it takes time. I'm trying to do something different. It takes time. Because that is to help with the inner critic. Because the inner critic just... That's just another way of resistance, or it's just another form of getting all tangled up. But there's a way that we can soften the inner critic, say, yeah, of course, I had difficulties, and then the inner critic arose. Oh, yeah, of course, it takes time. And we have to see these things over and over again. But unless we can get to this softer place where where the inner critic is soft, then we'll just keep on doing this over and over because the inner critic is the form that resistance is showing up. To soften the resistance to say is to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, I see how this is a pattern I have. Hmm. Well, I know it takes time to undo patterns. Let's see what I do next time. You know, to really have a different shift, a different attitude maybe. Is that, is that helpful? It makes sense, yes. Thank you. Anybody anybody else have a comment or a question? Okay. Well, may you not have any fear when you're like walking out to your car, even if you have to cross the street. <laughs> and I'm wishing you all a lovely evening. Thank you. <laughs>